This is the Lightning Junkies Podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode of the podcast, we have Ruben Thompson, and we're talking about Anyprev Out, L2, State Chains, Space Chains, Drive Chains, whatever other chains we can find, Cat Chains. How are you doing today, Ruben? Yeah, I'm good. Glad to be on here. I'm glad I did not mess up that intro. <laughs> Pretty cool to listen to. Right. So yeah, I'm really glad that you're here and that we're going to get into any prev out. It's been kind of my uh, most recent obsession here. Like just before uh, Miami Bitcoin 2021, I uh, was starting to like really kind of begin to understand it. I'm kind of a uh, laggard because we had you on, I believe, for episode 10 in either late 2019 or early 2020. Um, and you were on to explain, you know, the possibility of state chains, uh, well, lightning on st- uh, state chains, I believe, and then just generally state chains. But uh, you're back here because you're going to maybe, you know, help us to kind of understand any prev out L2 and then possibly, you know, some updated explanations on what those things would allow in reference to state chains and possibly explain space chains to us. Sounds good. All right. So uh, first off, let's just, you know, jump in here and start talking about uh, any prev out or let's, you know, be more formal, I guess, and just say it's a uh, it's, it's it's a BIP on Bitcoin, BIP 118. Do you want to maybe explain to the audience what just the, the soft fork of Sikhash any prev out would uh, do on a technical level? It's a good question, actually. I, I have n- not really put it into like layman terms in a way that I think is going to be easy, but l- let, me, let me give it a try anyway. Well, yeah, the, the weird thing about any prevout is the thing it does and the thing it enables are sort of disconnected from each other. So specifically what it does is it, it allows you to basically spend a UTXO without specifically referring uh, to that, uh, the ID of that specific UTXO. So if you have two UTXOs on the blockchain that are fundamentally the same, then you can create one transaction that could basically be valid for either one of them. Have it, you get a little bit more of a loose coupling between uh, spending a UTXO, like the transaction that is the, the UTXO that's in the blockchain and the transaction that spends it. So that's the kind of the high level thing. But then what that enables is, is sort of something completely different. So, uh, and I think that's probably for the uh, less technical uh, listeners, that's, that's the more interesting part. And uh, I, I think one of the things that I should mention here is that, okay, so you got me on here to talk about any provouts, but I'm not, I'm not specifically one of the developers working on it. So, so the reason I am at least uh, pretty knowledgeable about it is because two of my sort of sidechains, you could call it proposals, uh, utilize any prev out. So I've looked into it quite a bit, uh, but, but specifically it's uh, the BIP as well. Originally it, it came from the L2 paper, E-L-T-O-O, and this was a paper by Christian Decker. Uh, and it has a very specific purpose, uh, namely it is trying to create a different type of uh, lightning network transaction where currently you have sort of like this penalty structure where you create a transaction and then when you update it, you want to make sure that the previous version uh, of your channel doesn't go on chain. So you, you add a sort of a penalty uh, to it. And with any prev out, you can actually change that and you can sort of overwrite a previous transaction. So if you have an old state on the lightning network and it, and it enters the blockchain, it appears in the blockchain, you can overwrite it with a new state. So that's really the, the kind of the main thing that uh, any prevout was, was um, made for. 
And uh, it used to have a different name. That's might be good to mention too. Um, so it used to be SigHash no input, and it changed to SigHash any prev out. And Anthony Towns um, basically got involved with it, and he's quite excited about it. And he's uh, one of the kind of the main, I'd say, authors of the rewrite of the original BIP. So first it was no input, and now it's any prev out. Um, so those are really the main guys behind it. So from my understanding, uh, he wrote a updated version that includes kind of taproot in there. Is that right? Yes. And that has uh, specific reasons. Um, so it, it is thought that uh, doing it via taproot uh, is ultimately, well, well, very specifically, you sort of have to, um, the question with any prevout was whether or not it poses a risk for people who accidentally spend an output using any prevout, and then it might be valid for more than one output. So in order to prevent that, uh, one of the mitigations is to basically disallow the... Um, so, so in Taproot specifically, you have sort of two ways to spend a Taproot output. Uh, you can spend it with a key, so that's the, the key, uh, key path, or you can spend it with a script. And so here, by combining any prevout with taproot and only allowing it to be uh, any prevout to be active when you use the script path and you specifically within the script uh, use signal that you want to use any prevout, you sort of force people to opt into it. But simultaneously, you don't um, you don't mess with uh, taproot's sort of fungibility, right? Where if you look at the transaction on the outside, you can't really see. Uh, whether it's any different from any other outputs, and and that would be lost if you were to signal, um, if you were to signal for any prev out, basically, um, you know, by using a different taproot key, for instance. So now you have two types of taproot keys, and now you lose fungibility. But by doing it through the script, you sort of keep that. So so that's why taproots was sort of thought to be uh, the, the best place for any prev out. So before we move on to L two specifically here. I just, you know, thought it'd be good to ask, is there, are, are there any disadvantages to any prev out that you're aware of? Um, any reason why people might think it's controversial or anything like that? The first thing is kind of what I was uh, already alluding to, where you can have a situation where you start using any prev out and the user is careless. So, so, so one thing that could happen, for instance, is you let somebody pay you and you want to spend that payment via any prevout, so you opt into any prevout ahead of time, and then you spend the UTXO, and then later somebody sends a second payment to that uh, same address that you gave them, and now that same address, because it it it, it, ha it has any prevout enabled, uh, the same transaction could potentially be replayed. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I would have to go back and check, but there are certain mitigations like having, you know, maybe both UTXOs need to have the exact same amount, things like that. Uh, I'm not fully certain about those details, uh, but but things like that are sort of like um, anyone who wants to utilize uh, any prevout needs to be extra careful, basically, when they when they do so. And uh, you know, address reuse is kind of the main thing that you you don't want to do with any prevout. Address reuse is already heavily discouraged within kind of Bitcoin, I think. So would you say that that kind of issue would be big enough to make it to make this uh, uh, soft fork controversial at the end of the day? Like Taproot was kind of controversial, like someone wanted added a parameter or something. I still don't really understand that. Um, but uh, do you think that there's anything comparable on the any prev outside? I don't think it's going to be controversial in the end. Um, I, I think 
Well, in the past, there has been a, a bit of uh, uh, you know back and forth on how to do it in the most secure way possible, and and there was some disagreement there uh, among the developers. So so maybe that will come back, but I feel like the dust is sort of settled, and everybody's just sort of like, yeah, you know, there there are some things that are potentially unsafe if users do very specific things that they shouldn't be doing. Uh, but overall, uh, I don't th- I don't think it's going to be a showstopper. Uh, but who knows? Is there anything else that, that that can really be said about any prev out at this point without just getting into more uh, technical stuff and kind of digging deeper on on that side? I mean, there, there's one more theoretical objection to any prev outs, which is that um, it enables everything that OpCTV also enables. Uh, so this is OpCTV is uh, is uh, by Jeremy Rubin, and it's kind of a way to do very simple covenants. Any out is not really meant for that, but it happens to sort of function uh, in a similar way. Uh, I, I will say OpCTV is, is more efficient. So ultimately, if you want to do confidence, that's the way to do it. Uh, but what that means is that if you have any objections to OpCTV or you think there is a, uh, a weakness or, or something that makes that uh, not good for Bitcoin, uh, then that would automatically also apply to any out. Personally, I don't think there's really a strong case to be made, but uh, things like space chains, for instance, space chains utilize the kind of any prevalent covenant structure, and you could argue that a really popular space chain messes with Bitcoin's incentives, uh, and maybe therefore you don't want to allow it or something like that. I, I think it's pretty far fetched, uh, but I guess that's you know one more. If I had to like really uh, stretch it out and think of one more uh, objection, uh, I guess that would be it. Just to make sure I understand what you're talking about here, uh, CTV is a check template verify. Yes. Yeah. Because I, I could have sworn I saw that, like I was reading up on, uh, you know, Sikash, uh, any out and L2, and I kept seeing reference to that. Like, is there some advantage to any out and CTV going in at the same time or just going in eventually and both being active? Um, yeah, they can probably synergize uh, because you can sort of, um, well, any out is good for lightning and OpCTV could be useful for things like lightning channel factories. Um, so I, I can I can see them sort of like being uh, useful uh, together. So so the thing I specifically said is like technically you can do everything that OpCTV does with any prev out. Well, 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 almost everything. There there are some key differences, uh, but it would just be very inefficient. So OpCTV is very much preferred for those use cases. Got it. I'm not going to hit that too hard on this episode. So sure, yeah. I think we're going to go ahead and move on to to L2 here. So. From my understanding, like L2 is a off-chain protocol where you can basically do sequence numbers. So there was N sequence, uh, like the first version of Bitcoin had N sequence in it. That didn't work apparently. Like it was just like, like a kind of like a broken payment channel thing. Yeah, it, it, it was completely broken. Like it, it, wasn't, it wasn't minor incentive compatible. Like the idea was that miners would just ignore older end sequence numbers and they would just take the highest one regardless of how much uh, it would be paying in terms of fees uh, and that's just uh, yeah that's just not compatible with incentives so that just doesn't work and so l2 kind of uh, fixes that by making that an actual workable idea you could say that i don't think i don't think it's exactly the same but that would be one analogy yeah got it okay so maybe i'm just uh, reading into the to the analogy too much there well, I mean, it's all right. Like, so, so the now, so the difference is that with the with the end sequence number, the way it was intended by Satoshi, as far as I know, at least, uh, it was meant prior to confirmation, right? So, prior to confirmation, you could you could send a transaction, and then you could send another transaction, and you just increase the end sequence number, and now 
hopefully the network would take that second transaction instead of the first transaction, regardless of what the fees were doing. Um, here, it is actually after confirmation, you can sort of still overwrite one transaction with another. So you could think of it as your previous transaction did hit the blockchain, but now you can overwrite it with the new transaction. So let's get into exactly what that would allow here a little bit. The first thing that's kind of obvious, I think I think most people are aware of with L2, is that it would allow you to construct a different version of a lightning channel that does not have the penalty transaction. I think that's the one, one trait that I remember from all my other podcasts, people <laughs> bringing up L2. There's quite a bit more than that. Is that right? I would say that's the, the, the key thing. Uh, but yes, it, it, it subtly enables a bunch of other things, uh, you know, like the space chains thing I alluded to, uh, like that sort of like, you know, not its uh, main uh, use case. Uh, but, but yes, I, I would say that is really kind of why any provout is primarily interesting. Removing the penalty structure has some effects that maybe are not obvious, which we should mention is mainly it actually allows you to do lightning channels with more than two people. So you can do lightning channel factories, things like that. Uh, that is currently not possible because you know, currently the issue you run into is, let's say you have three people, you have a channel with Alice, Bob, Carol, Alice does something wrong, Bob punishes Alice. But because Carol was not uh, the one punishing Alice, Carol gets nothing and also sort of like indirectly, indirectly gets punished by Alice's behavior. So you sort of have this, um, you have this issue where with punishment, there's, there's only the, the person punishing sort of like wins. Uh, and if only one person can punish, uh, you can't do that with more than two people. Right. So because it's a very kind of simple penalty mechanism, if I'm understanding. I want to call it simple in reality, but it's relatively simple in its execution, right? Yeah. I mean, it actually, it sort of like creates a bunch of headaches for uh, Lightning, uh, for the Lightning implementation. So one of the, one of the issues is that for every possible state that you had, you have to remember the uh, data that allows you to punish. So this sort of uh, creates a ever-growing state of your, of your channel that you have to keep track of. Whereas with the, um, the kind of overriding mechanism that, uh, that uh, any out enables, you just remember the last state. And then anytime you see an older state, you just overwrite it. And that makes it much easier. You just basically have one transaction that you have to keep track of. And you update that transaction as you go on. Uh, but you don't have to like remember what happened in the past. And then the second thing is, if something goes wrong, right? Let, let's say Alice and Bob have a channel and Alice just accidentally loses uh, track of things. And she thinks you're at an older state than you're actually at. And Alice closes the channel now. Now Alice gets punished for, granted, she did something wrong. But like, you know, th these things happen, right? Like Alice could just accidentally uh, sort of do, do the wrong thing. And now she loses all her money to Bob. Whereas with the, uh, with the any prevalent mechanism, Bob would simply overwrite her older state with a newer state. And now Alice and Bob are both made whole, basically. Because we're only keeping the kind of latest uh, channel state that would imply that watchtowers are more lightweight, channel backups are easier, and, and, and things like that. So that seems like a pretty big win just on that particular side of things. Yeah, there's one more... Um, I guess, like slightly harder to explain thing. But currently with the Lightning Network, with the punishment uh, method, you need a asymmetric state. So every, for every state that you create, both Alice and Bob have their own version of the transaction. And it's a different, uh, different kind of transaction because depending on who sends out the transaction, the other person needs to be able to punish. 
So this asymmetry also just goes away. You just have one transaction that both Alice and Bob have, and that makes things a lot easier too. I wasn't even aware of, of that particular part, so thank you for that. But uh, So you mentioned uh, channel factories, which are also known as multi-party channels. That one, I've also been having a hard time kind of imagining in my head what that would really look like. Like I can kind of think it through, but I, I keep thinking, like, why would I want to share a, a channel with someone else? Why would I want to give up, you know, sole control of what's going on here? So, so the main reason is just cost, right? So what you want is if everybody has to have their own UTXO, then you have to have more UTXOs in the blockchain and you can reduce that. So let's say you have 10 channels. You can now, if those 10 people, uh, well, I guess 10 channels means 20 people maybe. If those 20 people cooperate with each other, they can create a single UTXO on the Bitcoin blockchain and all of their 10 channels can be inside of that one UTXO uh, and it just re- reduces the on-chain footprint basically by another uh, you know 10x in this case. Uh, but that assumes that everybody's cooperative, right? And that's always kind of like that's the tricky part here where I think uh, lightning channel factories have um, that's the the biggest unknown. like how are users going to um, interact with each other? Are people really going to be online? It, it sort of requires everybody to be online and vigilant and I think this type of mechanism probably isn't very well suited for things like, oh, lightning on your mobile phone, where you go offline from time to time. Uh, that's probably less ideal in that kind of lightning channel factory scenario. Um, so I, I do think you know, there are some open questions there. But, but really, ultimately, that is, that is what it comes down to, that you have less UTXOs on the Bitcoin blockchain and you cooperate with more people in an off-chain fashion. Correct me if you think I'm, I'm I'm sounding wrong here, but like my my first kind of imagined use case uh, potentially here would be something like El Salvador, maybe where they're already kind of doing the community model a bit. So maybe there's already some existing trust here amongst the the members of that community. Maybe it would make sense for for them to be inside a, a channel factory, kind of commingling funds and all that. Yeah, maybe something like a family or something could could have a channel factory together. Um, I mean, it, it's hard to say how it's going to work out. But like, if you think about like, if, if everybody cooperates with each other and there's one big merry lighting channel factory that everybody cooperates with, it would just be like the ultimate off-chain thing, right? Where nobody ever goes uh, uh, on-chain because everybody cooperates and everybody agrees. Uh, but that's just unrealistic. Right. So, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of what was kind of my first thought of like, well, we could have everyone on this kind of layer three channel factory layer. No one ever uh, touches base chain Bitcoin. No one even touches the lightning network very often. You already kind of um, made the insinuation that it's not very likely to happen in that way. But do you think it's likely that we're we're going to see a lot more scale come through this sort of thing where... If let's say you and I, like, I'm not sure if you and I trust each other enough to have a uh, channel factory. <laughs> Depends on how much money is in there. Right. True, true. Uh, but, but let's say we had, you know, a, a million sats, you know, that might be quote unquote small enough that we could probably trust each other. But, you know, at, at what point would that graduate to maybe not? But it's also like, okay, so let's say you and I trust each other, but then you have a buddy and you want your buddy to join in. And I don't know your buddy, right? So now it's like, okay, uh, I don't know if I trust your buddy. <laughs> so yeah, that, that kind of becomes the problem, right? You, have, you put 10 people together, you put, put 20 people together, all those 20 people have to sort of rely on each other and 
assume that they're all going to be uh, cooperative with each other. I, you know, like I, I think that's a fine uh, assumption, and I think it's totally something we have to move towards. Uh, but it's sort of a social scalability issue, right? So I'm just I'm just pointing out that there is going to be some kind of limitation, and where that limitation is really depends on how reliable people are, what their uptime is, and you know I, I'm optimistic about this in the sense that I think ultimately, you know, instead of having this kind of like mobile wallet um, setup, I think ultimately everybody should just have kind of an always online computer in the back of their room uh, that just does all the communication, and that way. You can uh, you can enable these things. Um, so, so I'm optimistic about it, but simultaneously, you know, we just uh, if if it worked perfectly, then you know it would be like insane scaling because everybody would just communicate with everybody, and that's not going to be the case either. Let's kind of take this apart ever so slightly. So I I, I think this the whole thing makes a lot of sense because m- maybe this wasn't clear because I want to make sure this is clear that if if you're like adding members to the channel factory. Um, that you can essentially do that without touching the base chain of Bitcoin, that you're doing it all all on Lightning, or are you going to correct me on that? Yeah, no. Um, there are some ideas um, out there, uh, and I think ultimately when you do something like that, it sort of comes down to this sort of state chain-like uh, system. Uh, because So ultimately the problem is, let's say Alice and Bob have a channel. Uh, Carol wants to join the channel. The, the base of the channel is Alice and Bob. So whenever Alice and Bob agree, they can change whatever, whatever the outcome of the channel is, regardless of what Carol wants. Uh, and, and ultimately, you, you cannot change that, right? Alice and Bob are the owner. So if Alice and Bob are nice to Carol and Carol trusts Alice and Bob, you could say like, okay, fine, you, you can do that. Uh, but then so, what, what you sort of have is you have Alice and Bob being a federation to Carol. State chains basically are, are this thing where you just have a federation that you assume p- people feel like they can trust. And instead of trusting Alice, instead of trusting uh, Bob, Carol trusts the federation, Alice trusts the federation, Bob trusts the federation. Uh, so that's, I think, what, you, what, what, you, what it comes down to uh, if you want something like that. The, the pure Lightning Channel Factory implementation, when Carol wants to join, Alice and Bob have to go on-chain and add Carol to the, uh, to the outputs that's on the, on the Bitcoin blockchain. Okay, so they're obviously a misunderstanding on on, on my part, um, but I, I remember reading something that would imply maybe I was reading about something even further out or something, but uh, something that would make those things way cheaper and essentially free. But maybe I'm I'm just gonna stop while while I'm ahead here or or not ahead. <laughs> I mean, I know I know there's been some speculation on this topic. Uh, I think it's too early to say that that's going to work. Uh, personally, I'm skeptical that that's going to work. I, I think there are trust assumptions there, right? And and those trust assumptions may make sense in certain cases. Like you know, if you have a, a, if you have five people and you trust four of them, maybe it's okay. I'm just going to back off from that point to get to where we're a little bit more on a firmer ground here. Kind of going into other things that L2 might allow. Another one that kind of stands out that I'm I'm not sure gets enough attention is uh, the Allot 49 protocol which would allow for uh, lightning payments over uh, mesh networks. I believe this was started uh, previously. um, God, I totally forgot the mesh network company that did it. Uh, But uh, Richard Myers is the guy that was was doing the uh, Lot 49 work. Um, Have you heard much about this? Uh, Have you looked into this much? Um, No, I can't say I know a lot about it. Um, I will say, kind of like generally speaking, the more simple and elegant you make the Lightning Network, the easier it is to connect it to IoT devices. 
and have uh, you know have them do stuff that um, yeah if you, if you reduce the complexity that stuff becomes easier. I don't know if there's a specific barrier where things are not possible now and will be possible afterwards, but it wouldn't surprise me. Got it. And just to throw it out there, the name of his company was Global Mesh Labs. But since since neither of us know all that much, we're not going to stay on that for too long. Yeah. There, there's one thing we haven't hit on that is important about uh, uh, any out, So I, I think uh, it might be good for me to mention it, which is the uh, how fees work. Uh, are you familiar with how that changes with uh, any out? I, I do see it changes, but I don't know specifically how it changes. Let me just point out what the, uh, what the difference is. So currently in the Lightning Network, you have to choose the fee ahead of time. And that causes issues when fees go up, right? So if Alice and Bob create a new state and then uh, one of them disappears and now you have to go on chain. But the, the fee that you anticipated ahead of time is the wrong fee. Well, now you can't send your transaction. And currently that's fixed by sort of overshooting and just paying sort of a too high fee and hoping that's going to be high enough. Uh, but that is just ultimately kind of very uh, unappealing. Um, so with any out, that's actually um, completely fixed because you can pay the fee after the fact. So the way that works is basically the any out transaction of the new state or whichever state you want uh, just has no fee. There's no fee attached to it. And when you want to send it to the Bitcoin blockchain, you have to attach your own input and output in order to pay for a fee. Um, so the fee can be basically attached when you actually want to send it to the Bitcoin blockchain instead of ahead of time. Just to keep us moving here, do you know anything about layered commitments that Anthony Towns wrote about? I think this is his, uh, yeah, this is his uh, post on the Bitcoin dev mailing list. Um, yeah, no, unfortunately, I found it a little dense uh, to get through. So uh, I actually, I think uh, I talked about this with uh, Fiat Jaff, who, uh, who created the uh, website that we should give a shout out, anyprevout.xyz. Uh, it's a great resource for uh, looking at anyprevout and kind of what it enables and what still needs to be done. So if you, if you want to advocate for, for uh, anyprevout, that's definitely a website you, uh, you want to visit. Uh, props to him for, for making that. But uh, no, uh, I, I don't fully understand what it is at a high level. What I think it does, but I might be completely wrong about, is that basically he was looking at when you have uh, any out inside of any out, you sort of have this, this, this layered uh, structure. Uh, there might be certain issues with time locks. And I think he was trying to look at how that should be resolved. Uh, but, but other than that, I, I can't really comment on it. All right, no problem. I was just hoping maybe you already understood and it was just going to be a quick thing there. Unfortunately not. All right, that's fair enough, man. That's like I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding half of the stuff anyway. So I, I appreciate you uh, helping me through what you can here. Sure. Kind of taking a step back to the previous episode uh, where you were on last episode 10 for anyone that wants to go back and listen to that episode and hear just the general state chains explanation. You might kind of give a brief one now, but I don't think it's required to do a, you know, a deep dive again on that. Right. Right. But um, L2 and any prev out essentially allows a different kind of state chain. Um, and so I believe right now I just, I just pulled up a, one of the current state chain implementations, uh, in a wallet called Mercury Wallet. Have you looked at that uh, wallet quite yet? Yeah, so that's the uh, implementation by Commerce Block. So basically, they, uh, they like the state chain's idea and they, uh, they built it out. So they have uh, currently a, a testnet version running. Because they did this before any Prevout was a thing and before even Schnorr was a thing, 
they had to make some cutbacks. I think uh, I think that's good, right? That they ran with it and and tried to get it as far as they can. Uh, and I think once uh, Schnorr is there and once Any Pravout is there, I, I I would assume they're going to upgrade and sort of like add new features. Um, but yeah, because of that, there were some fundamental changes. So they uh, dropped kind of the um, the blind part of uh, of state chains, uh, which is I think I think both versions are um, interesting to to work out. Uh, because with the with the blind variant, you require more user interaction, and with the non-blind version, you can kind of let the uh, state chain entity do more work. Yeah, I guess a quick quick recap for what state chains are. Uh, I won't make it too long. Listen to the uh, episode ten if you if you want to hear it. But basically, what it is is uh, you share a UTXO with a federation, and because the federation is involved with that UTXO, you can send the UTXO off chain to others. And since you can do this blindly, at least in theory, uh, the current implementation by Commerceblock doesn't have this, uh, you can even do this in such a way that the Federation doesn't even know they have your coins. Um, so that's kind of the, the short summary. Uh, and this has some advantages over something like a federated uh, sidechain because mainly uh, they don't know they have your coins. And there is less trust required because you, can, you always have a, a transaction that allows you to go on-chain and claim the funds. Whereas with the federated bottle, you need them to actively uh, give you your coins back. Uh, so that, that is a kind of a, a trust upgrade uh, in that regard. I'd say the, the main um, weak points currently for the, the commerce block implementation, and, and the, the main one that any prevout actually changes is that they have decrementing time locks. So it is actually possible to do something like channel factories or, or in this case, state chains today but the way you do it is that every time you update the state, your time lock goes down by, depending on what your security assumptions are, maybe a day or, or maybe an hour. Um, and what that means is that after a certain number of transfers, uh, your time lock is down to zero and now you're forced on chain. You know, that sort of like gives it a time limit to your, um, to your state chain UTXOs. And with any prevalence, that is no longer necessary. Um, so that sort of um, improves uh, basically the lifespan of, of a, a UTXL on a state chain. Obviously, we talked last time about how Lightning might work on top of a state chain. Obviously, the current implementation does not even touch Lightning. It's just the state chain by itself. But the idea is if you were to do Lightning on top, that um, theoretically you could actually move different uh amounts around and not be kind of locked into the full amount of the uh, UTXO? Yeah, so actually, uh, I talked to the Commerce Block guys about that recently. And as far as I can tell, um, I think it's possible for them already to uh, make it Lightning compatible. Yeah, that's easier said than done, especially because the Lightning Network is sort of like lots of moving parts and a lot of complexity. So I don't think uh, that's going to happen overnight. But at least it seems like it's already possible uh, with, the, with their cur- current uh, implementation. So that's good to know, at least, that there are no uh, big roadblocks there. Um, and now with Schnorr coming up, uh, they can also make some other improvements. Like currently, uh, the way it works is that they have uh, basically a single server that is signing everything. And there's no federation yet, uh, but they could start implementing that once we have Schnorr. Got it. And so just kind of on a more broad level, do you kind of like the wallet? Does it kind of give you more real world thought process on how the stuff like actually might work? And 
Like, cause I find the interface very interesting to look at, um, kind of complicated, but kind of interesting showing you your, your, uh, state chain, uh, UTXOs, the, the, the time until your uh, timestamp expires and some privacy scores here. Do you, do you kind of like this interface? Is this kind of what you expected? Did, did they kind of do a good job of putting into the real world your kind of idea here? <laughs> No, I, I think they did a great job. Um, I think it's it's not easy and it's going to require a lot of work. And, you know, the way I see it is you know, it's an open protocol and I would like to see as many implementations as possible, similar to kind of how the Lightning Network has many implementations. What they have focused on thus far is if you have a full UTXO, the use case of sending that full UTXO to another person, you know, when do you need to send that exact amount that you have in the UTXO, right? It's kind of slim. So what they focused on was actually the coin swaps. So that's, uh, that's another very interesting thing you can do with state chains. Let's say if everybody has like a one Bitcoin UTXO in a state chain, then if you can swap those UTXOs off-chain within the state chain uh, protocol, then you basically have created an off-chain coin join, I would say. Uh, you know, whether you want to call it coin join or coin swap, uh, it kind of depends on how you look at it. But you, know, you can throw 10 of these one Bitcoin UTXOs together and you can swap them all. Uh, and you can do that all off-chain. So that's what they focused on. And that's, uh, I guess, also how the you know, interface is currently built in terms of privacy, right? So yeah, I think uh, for what they're doing currently, it makes sense. But once you start adding more and more features, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of complexity there. And I think it's a similar sort of complexity to how you have to think about the Lightning Network, right? Like the Lightning Network wallets are not easy too. Uh, so yeah, I think they've got a challenge out of them. And I think they're, they're meeting it thus far. So I'm, uh, I'm quite impressed. Just kind of sitting here, like uh, listening to you uh, talk about this a little bit, my imagination started to think about how, you know, people run their uh, Bitcoin Lightning nodes on these node implementations like uh, MyNode, uh, Raspberry Blitz, etc. Obviously, they have all kinds of goodies on there that aren't uh, directly related to um, Bitcoin per se. You know, you have... Uh, LND hub, you might have uh, mixing tools through Samurai, whatever. I, I kind of like the idea of maybe at some point I can just have like a state chain like server on my uh, Raspberry Pi and kind of being part of a, a federation. Is that something that you see happening or am I just not on the right track there? No, yeah, that's uh, interesting uh, that you mentioned it. So, so especially the blind version of state chains, they sort of... Um, don't expect the federation to do much at all. It comes back to the, uh, the issue of interaction. Whoever the federation is, you have to trust that they're going to be cooperating together. And that's the hard part, I think. So, you know, if you just do it or a random person does it, why would I trust them? And I think that's, that's the federation issue. Uh, you sort of need people that have some kind of reputation where you feel like, okay, well, these people, they're really going to go for it. I can entrust my uh, UTXOs with them. Uh, instead of just some some random people, uh, you know, unless you think, uh, you know, maybe some of the Twitter celeb- celebs, you uh, you trust them, uh, maybe they can run a federation or something like that. That would be an interesting experiment. But uh, yeah, that's that's really the main issue, right? Like, are they going to be online all the time? Are these people that create a federation together, do you trust them all? Or do you think that they might run away with your coins? That is That is really ultimately the question it comes down to. Right. So, I mean, the, it's a very interesting question. Like, would you listeners out there uh, trust a federation of like me and other podcasters? Um, I maybe 
especially the ones that are, you know, maybe actively showing their their lightning channels, or I'm sorry, not their lightning channels, lightning nodes, excuse me. I, I don't know. That's a very interesting thing, because I don't think I would trust that very easily. I think it would take some, like, real usage and some, like, yeah, it would take years probably for that to really begin to build out. Because, like, I, I don't like Liquid, for example, which is a federation. They have some questionable, uh, like, emergency mechanisms there. Uh, like, maybe they fix that. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, and that's fair. Someone will yell at me. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's sort of necessary that they have something like that, but it could be better, yeah. But, you know, either way, it's just like I, you know, as a Bitcoin person, it's like I think everyone's going to have that question mark there of like trust. I thought we're not supposed to have that around here. You shouldn't forget it's also about transferring, right? So when, when you, okay, so let's say you have a UTXO with these Bitcoiners that you trust. Well, now you want to transfer that UTXO. What that means is that whoever is receiving it also has to trust the same people that you trust, right? So this is there. It's yet another issue. Um, so, so that's kind of where it becomes tricky. And you know, I, I think in theory, and, and this is probably not very easy in practice, but in theory, you could sort of like do the, oh, pick your own federation. Uh, so my UTXO is controlled by, you know, three people that I like or, or whatever, or three federations that I like. Uh, but then still, you're right, you have this coincidence of wants kind of problem where if I transfer it, the person that receives it has to trust the same federation. Um, so that's really, I think, where it starts breaking down. I think that's a fair amount on 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 that side. I kind of wanted to hit covenants and uh, space chains here. So, as you were kind of saying before, uh, I think that was while we were on air. Uh, space chains require a kind of covenant-like construction, if I can speak here. And so, basically, they're kind of required. So, before we get into space chains specifically here, I remember covenants being essentially a thing where you can have like a a bunch of oh god i'm going to explain this terribly but let's see like like a bunch of different outputs kind of all within the same transaction and they're kind of nested so you need oh please save me i'm doing this terribly <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah covenants are one of those things that it took me a long time to wrap my head around it as well uh but ultimately what it is is it's a restriction of how you can spend your coins so normally you have a UTXL and you can just do whatever you like with it. But with a covenant, you can say, okay, you can spend these coins, but only if the output that you create when you spend them has certain conditions. And the simplest condition is just literally defining the output ahead of time. And that is what uh, OpCTV does, or, or uh, as uh, so check, template, verify, and at the same time, this is something that uh, Sigesh AnyPrevout sort of coincidentally enables as well. So with that, you can send a transaction, you can create a Bitcoin transaction that you know ahead of time is going to create, let's say, 20 outputs where you know maybe there, there are 20 uh, lightning channel factories or something, uh, lightning channels. Uh, so you can you can create that kind of in, in a single transaction. So you create a single output on the Bitcoin blockchain, and then you know ahead of time that the only way this output can be spent is by creating these 20 uh, other outputs. So that basically means that the 20 outputs are, it's as if they already were on the Bitcoin blockchain, but they just haven't been revealed yet. Um, that is kind of the simplest uh, covenant you can do. And, and those are the covenants that we're going to be talking about today. Just to kind of relate my own personal understanding here slightly is the reason why you might use something like this is for a Bitcoin vault. Uh, Brian Bishop kind of brought up the idea of all this, I believe, 
essentially the idea is that you could have it set up so it would take a very long time. Like you couldn't steal someone's Bitcoin essentially because they would be kind of time blocked to yourself over a long period of time where it would take like 10 years or something for you to get all your Bitcoin back. But because of how the covenant works, it would just go from one output to the other, to the other, to the other. Yeah, I I don't fully remember uh, that that specific uh, use case or how that was uh, modeled. But I do believe, yeah, that, that's one of them. Another thing that maybe helps you wrap your head around it is that theoretically, the thing we're doing here is also just possible by pre-signing a bunch of transactions. Uh, but the pre-signing, one, requires more data because y- you need all these signatures. And two, it requires more interaction where everybody who... Uh, is part of whatever you want to create. They all have to kind of interact together to create the signature. So OpCTV just makes it easier where one person just creates how everything is supposed to look. Everybody else, when they see it, it hit the, the Bitcoin blockchain and they, they receive the data basically of, of how this transaction unfolds, uh, they, they can see how it goes. And yeah, there, there are a bunch of use cases that, uh, you know, Jeremy Rubin probably knows better, but the, he has a... I don't remember the exact website. Was it like something like UTXO? I don't remember, but he has a good website where he shows all the, all the use cases. And one of them is sort of like, if you uh, want to create a bunch of transactions, uh, but you don't quite, like fees are high, then you can send a single output on the Bitcoin blockchain that basically is guaranteed to, in the future, create a bunch of outputs. But since you don't create them yet, you can wait for uh, a time when uh, you know fees are low and you can send it then. And but you you already have the confirmation. So anyone who is supposed to receive funds from an exchange, for instance, they know the exchange has already sent them the funds. But just the uh, the sort of the specific individual output is just not on the blockchain yet. Maybe like a a simpler way for me to understand it is just a way to set a set of expected spending parameters into the future a little bit. Is that a simple way to put it? <laughs> yeah, it depends on how what you mean by parameters, right? But because the parameter here is just, think of it as pre-signed transactions, right? Like if you can decide, you have to decide ahead of time how the transaction is going to be spent. And that decision is, is kind of set in stone. And you, you can have, I guess you can have conditions where you, know, you, you choose either path A or either path B. But what the path is going to be, you have decided ahead of time. How does uh, space chains uh, find their way into the mix here? Yeah, so specific to space chains. So, so let me uh, let me give a high level overview. I don't think we no no like when we did episode ten. I don't even think I, uh, I invented it yet. <laughs> so I uh, don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So with space chains at a high level, um, what it does is it allows you to create an unlimited number of blockchains without requiring an altcoin. And they are tied to Bitcoin in, in some way that makes it beneficial to Bitcoin. So you can think of it as sort of um, doing altcoins without the altcoin, uh, creating chains, uh, but these chains don't have their own uh, nasty token that is going to you know, compete with Bitcoin. So the way that's done, there, there are kind of two mechanisms here. Uh, the, the main mechanism, I guess, that we should talk about now is how to create blocks for, for these space chains. And the way blocks are created is by creating a transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain and attaching the hash of the block that you want to create. In order to do this, we need some kind of um, structure of transactions that exists of which one transaction goes into Bitcoin blockchain per Bitcoin block. 
and then anyone can choose to attach their their hash to it in order to create a space chain block. And whoever pays the highest fee actually is the one who gets to create the space chain block. And because you need this kind of framework of transactions, you need to have a covenant to ensure how this framework is going to unfold. And the, the unfolding is literally just one transaction per Bitcoin block. Uh, but you need to have that, th- those transactions need to be created ahead of time. And you need to have a guarantee that those transactions cannot be uh, spent in some other way. So with that framework and with a covenant, you can basically create a single transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain. And now everybody provably knows that there's an output on there that can, can only be spent in the next block in a very specific way. And that one creates yet another output that can only be spent in the block after that, et cetera, et cetera. And then you attach to this framework your hash, or anyone can attach their hash to it in order to create a block. Uh, and, and they pay for this. Basically, whoever pays the highest uh, amount in, in, in Bitcoin fees, they're the ones who get to attach their hash to it, create the space chain block, and receive the fees inside of the space chain block. The the first thing that kind of hits my uh, naive brain here when when you're saying add features without adding an altcoin is I'm thinking of drive chains here, which is a similar idea. Um, do you kind of want to maybe before we get too deep into space chains, contrast the difference between drive chains and space chains? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the main thing here is what I've explained so far is just how to create a blockchain inside of the Bitcoin blockchain. And that's nice and all, but now that you have your own blockchain, what do you do with it? And generally speaking, the answer has been, oh, well, you create an altcoin. Uh, And then that altcoin is going to be living on this this alternate blockchain. And once you do that, and even if if that blockchain is getting its consensus from Bitcoin, if it's an altcoin, it's still competing. And so the ideal way of, of dealing with this is to create a so-called two-way peg. And the two-way peg is literally a mechanism that allows you to send your Bitcoins from the Bitcoin blockchain to this alternate blockchain. And if you have this mechanism where you can move back and forth, uh, that's really the holy grail. That's kind of the ideal. Drive chains are a solution to that. Uh, but the solution requires trust in miners. And because it requires trust in miners, uh, a lot of people are kind of uh, worried that ultimately that's going to not work out or have bad incentives. Um, personally, I'm kind of on the fence about that, whether or not it's going to work. But I, I do think it's, uh, it's sort of a tall order. And space chains sort of circumvent that problem because space chains specifically, they do not have a two-way peg. Uh, but what they do instead is if you want to create tokens on the space chain, you have to literally destroy, burn your Bitcoins. And only then can you create space chain tokens or space coins, as I call them. Uh, and so what this does is you're literally just giving up on this, this, this two-way peg mechanism. You know, again, it would be ideal if you had a two-way peg, but considering the trade-offs of getting the two-way peg, uh, the space chain's design really tries to look at, okay, well, what can we do without the two-way peg and purely doing this kind of perpetual one-way peg, meaning that at any time you can burn your Bitcoin and create space coins. And it turns out there's still a a lot you can do despite not having a two-way peg there. Let me just ask the question because it seemed like you kind of alluded to it at the end there. 
would it be possible? Would it break the, the whole space chain idea if it were a two way pig? So there is no. It, it would just be fundamentally a different uh, design if you were to do that. So so there is one way to to create a two way pig out of it, but it would not be trustless. So the nice thing about space chains is it's completely trustless. So what you can do is you can create a space chain, and on that space chain you can allow people to issue assets. And then somebody can create a federated two-way pack asset on the space chain. Uh, so that would be possible. And when you do that, uh, you have Bitcoin on the space chain, but you don't have them in this kind of like trustless fashion that we would like, right? Like that's really, and doing it with trust, uh, two-way pack is actually easy. And for, for that use case, space chains work perfectly fine as well. Uh, but it's this kind of like trustless thing that's, uh, that's the issue. And uh, I don't think we should be getting into it, uh, in, into it for this podcast, but I actually have a solution to that, which is called soft chains. Uh, but that's a whole other can of worms that I, I think we should just uh, leave aside for now. How many chains do you have in your pocket, man? How many uh, different... Uh... <laughs> Three at the moment. <laughs> All right. So like uh, in another 10 years, going to have, you know, three or four more chains and, you know, we'll, we'll figure out how to, you know, put cats onto the blockchain here. Exactly. That's that's the end goal. Never cats and dogs together, though. That doesn't work. <laughs> different chains for different. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. But I feel like we've hit a good amount of stuff here. Was there anything else on space chains you felt like we really needed to hit? Yeah. It would be good to kind of go over some of the use cases, right? Because right now, what I've kind of described is okay. We have this space chain. And we have this, this asset that's kind of a, a Bitcoin derivative, right? Like where you destroy your Bitcoins and you create these space coins. But okay, so what do you do with this blockchain? The, the things you, you can't do is you can't expect people to kind of value these space coins highly. You, you, can't, you can't say that, okay, well, right now I'm storing my value on Bitcoin and oh, I'm just going to burn all my Bitcoins and just have space coins instead. Uh, that would be kind of crazy uh, and, and doesn't really work because ultimately... In terms of store of value, uh, Bitcoin is just superior. superior. Uh, you can always move your Bitcoins to the space chain, but you can't go back. Uh, so therefore, Bitcoins are always preferable. And that's, that's sort of intentional. Uh, so really, what the token is, is just a way to pay for block space. And then the question kind of becomes, okay, well, what can you do with the block space if there is not this uh, you know, decentralized uh, Bitcoin token or some kind of altcoin on there? And so one of them would be asset issuance, right? So you could do NFTs. Uh, you could do, like I said earlier, you could do federated two-way pegs. So not trustless, but that's one way of doing it. You can issue USD Tether on there. Uh, and I think that's really one of the main use cases where you can create any blockchain you like, as many blockchains as you want, and anyone can issue any asset on there. And it doesn't have to be like an altcoin. Um, and then you can use it for doing things that a lot of altcoins are trying to do. You could do the name coin thing. You could create a DNS. Uh, you could try to, I mean, there are some more fancy things that people are doing. Like uh, uh, there's one uh, idea by uh, John Light, which is basically trying to get the uh, Ethereum TBTC design uh, into a space chain uh, via uh, what he calls a stake peg. Uh, so those are interesting ideas. But there, there's this fundamental question about altcoins where if the altcoin itself doesn't have store of value, isn't the store of value, does the fact that the chain has certain functionality still create value? And if the answer to that is yes, uh, then we can do it with a space chain and we can bring that value to Bitcoin. And it will go to Bitcoin indirectly because 
the more popular the space chain is, the more Bitcoins will be burned, the more Bitcoins will be burned, the more scarce your Bitcoins will be, and the higher, uh, you know, basically number go up when that happens. Do you see burning Bitcoin as a thing that a lot of people are going to do? Do you see this as a healthy activity? Because I feel like the, the last big burn for uh, Bitcoiners was a counterparty like years ago. And that ended up being, sorry, guys, but not a project that anyone cares about anymore. I would hate to be there some big space chain thing, but they burned X amount of Bitcoin. And now that project's dead and we can't get that Bitcoin back. And everyone's just like, well, oh, well. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. And I think it's one that deserves a lot of attention because I, I think a lot of people are cautious about that. So from my perspective, uh, I think there's absolutely nothing to be concerned about. Uh, but I, you know, uh, it's, it's my job to, to convince others that that's the case. So it's not enough that I think that. Let's say even if I'm right, right? And, and it's really, there's, there's no problem with burning Bitcoins for the space chain design. If everybody thinks it's a problem, uh, you know, that, that hurts uh, basically the, uh, the project as a whole. So I guess a couple of things I will say about that. So the, the first thing is you don't have to burn your Bitcoins. Anyone can burn their Bitcoins. And once those Bitcoins are burned and the space coins are created, you can then buy those space coins from whoever created them. And I think that's kind of fundamentally very important because what that means is that it's just a market mechanism where if there's a lot of demand for space coins, somebody can profit by burning their Bitcoins. The demand for the, the space chain, and this is an important one, the demand for the space chain can only come from current demand in its block space. There is no speculative demand for, for space coins. And that's very important because that was not the case for Counterparty. With Counterparty, really the reason people were burning their Bitcoins was because they thought, oh, I'm going to create this other asset and then it's going to go up in value because the burn was temporary, right? It was not a perpetual burn. And that's, that's the important part here. So, so the, the, the thought was, I'm going to burn my Bitcoins and then I'm going to get Counterparty coins and these counterparty coins are going to go up in value. And so they were speculating on the future. And that is literally not a thing you can do with a space chain. And, and therefore, really, the only time you burn your Bitcoins is if there's an immediate use case and there's immediate demand for it. And therefore, it is kind of by definition, not a waste. Maybe we're in this future where we're accessing our internet that is um, secured by a space chain in some sense. In, in the sense where we're like maybe moving over an X amount of sats over to the space chain in order to access some DNS thing, some name coin thing, in order to access some super private Bitcoin website that has all the cool information on it or whatever. Yeah, that would be possible. Uh, I, think, I think mainly uh, just token issuance, NFTs, uh, things like that are, are going to be kind of a, a, a good use case. Um, and there, there is kind of a third sort of interesting use case, but it's slightly more complicated. Are are you still up for for one more interesting use case or or do you want to wrap it up? Give me one more use case, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, How familiar are you with uh, what Ethereum has been proposing for uh, burning a percentage of of the fees in order to create ultrasound money or whatever they want to call it? Have you you heard of this? Is that their IP, their EIP? Exactly, yeah. I don't know the numbers and everything, but yes, I've, I've heard of that. The, the mechanism there is one where um, instead of the fees going to security, the fees kind of go to the existing users by burning uh, some of the fees, right? Because if you, if you burn uh, some of your ETH, 
what that means is that all the uh, remaining ETH is going to be worth more. And if you hadn't burned the ETH, the ETH would have gone to uh, the Ethereum miners and it would have resulted in a higher proof of work. This same mechanism can actually apply to a space chain where instead of all the fees going to, well, ultimately they go to Bitcoin miners. Uh, within the space chain, you just have a consensus rule that says, well, every time you want to create a space chain block, you have to destroy a certain amount of space chain coins, uh, a certain amount of space coins. And what that does is it creates a, um, a way for coins to leave the system. And this stabilizes the value because in order to add a coin to the system, you have to burn a Bitcoin. And then over time, these space coins, they disappear, they, they exit the system. And so what that does is it sort of creates a one-to-one um, peg with the Bitcoin price. And I don't think this is a very strong peg in the sense that if you have large fluctuations in demand, uh, the peg is not going to hold. But for low value payments, uh, this might actually enable a sort of... Um, you know, it, it wouldn't be like the Lightning Network, but it would be sort of like a space chain alternative to low-value uh, Bitcoin payments, where the space coins are actually worth uh, what a Bitcoin is worth. Uh, I know there's a lot, lot to grasp, but hopefully you sort of got the idea. That space chains will basically enable super ultrasound money. Is that what I heard? <laughs> well, I would say it's ultrasound <laughs> money, no. I was teasing. <laughs> I'm just saying it, it's, it's sort of a two-way bag. It's sort of a two-way bag, but, it, but it's, a, it's a weak one that I think would work for a low value. I would not be optimistic enough to say it works for high value, but it's hard to really predict how it's going to work. But those are really interesting things that we can experiment with um, thanks, to, uh, thanks to space chains. And, and, and you know, the nice thing is there's no altcoin. It's not competing with Bitcoin. So it's really all these chains, they function for Bitcoin. And that's really, I think, the, the, the key part here, right? Because every time, even if, even if an altcoin does something interesting, you can't accept it because there's an altcoin and you know that the main thing, even if there's something interesting there, it's just overwritten by, you know, all the shit that happens when there's a shit coin. Right. Dumping on retail, um, pre-mines being the most common here. I wanted to ask a kind of silly question here to kind of wrap us up. Would it, would it make sense? I'm, I'm guessing not, honestly, but would it make sense to put Lightning Network on top of space chains? Yeah, I think uh, the Lightning Network makes sense everywhere. Basically, I see the Lightning Network as a multiplier of a blockchain, where you take the existing blockchain and you create channels on top of the existing blockchain. And now you have, yeah, you can, you can do more, uh, basically. So absolutely, you could imagine having a space chain with, uh, I don't know, use the Tether issued on there or, or even uh, you know, liquid, like liquid dust, like Bitcoins being issued on there. And people opening uh, lightning channels on a space chain uh, with either Bitcoin or UC Tether uh, and using it like that. Uh, absolutely. I think that makes uh, total sense. I guess my reaction to how you kind of formulated how it would work, it would be, I don't think anyone would use that because then those channels would not be interoperable with Bitcoin lightning channels. They would be space chain lightning network. I'm sorry. Yeah. Space chain lightning network off by itself. Is that right? No, no, that's uh, incorrect. Um, oh, really? Yeah, you, you can. Um, so, so the the Lightning Network is really a blockchain agnostic. It, it it really doesn't matter on which chain you have coins. So, the the maybe the easiest example is uh, let's take Liquid, right? You can have a Liquid Bitcoin channel with uh, with Bitcoins on the Liquid network, and you can just interact with the Lightning Network in just a regular way. 
uh, the only thing is you sort of need a bridge, right? You need someone someone who accepts lightning bit, uh, sorry, uh, liquid bitcoins and regular bitcoins. And as long as there's a bridge there, uh, you can you can route through uh, from lightning uh, <laughs> from the liquid. Uh, to uh, to the Bitcoin blockchain, and the same way you can do that with with space chains. Uh, the only exception here is if you use a different asset. Once you start using a different asset, like use the tether, and uh, now you um you, you have some issues because you know you could still you, even then you could do a kind of a use the tether to uh, Bitcoin uh, transfer on the Lightning network, but now you run into the uh, call option problem. Where somebody can sort of wait and see what the price between USD Tether and Bitcoin does, and depending on that, uh, allow the transaction to go through or not, and and make an extra buck. Uh, so, so that's sort of an unresolved uh, issue there. But assuming that the the bitcoins that are uh, even in this case it's an IOU Bitcoin, right? Assuming that the um, bitcoins that are issued by the federation are valued one to one with regular bitcoins, uh, they just operate seamlessly on the uh, Lightning Network. All right, perfect. I think we're going to end the show there, if you don't mind. Sounds good. I felt like that was a great, uh, great answer there. Do you want to go ahead and let the listeners know um, how they can find you? I believe we're going to be playing this episode on the Unhashed podcast. Um, yeah, that, that seems likely. Whatever we uh, we can't, uh, you know, get an episode done for whatever reason. And uh, we, we had that like for the last uh, uh, two weeks, we had the Miami conference. So I wasn't there, but the other guys were there. So we aired some other, other episodes. So eventually, if that happens again, we might air this episode. It's not a guarantee, but it seems likely. Uh, but yeah, generally speaking, I would say uh, go follow me on Twitter at Samson Rubin. Uh, there's a little website I made with uh, most of my work, uh, tiny.cc slash Samson. And of course, go and listen to the Unhashed podcast where me and the other co-hosts talk about Bitcoin, tech, and make a lot of jokes. And it's a little bit more, um, you know, low barrier, uh, a little bit more of a fun podcast uh, as opposed to a, a super technical, but there's some tech episodes in there as well. Say hi to Mario for me. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> All right. Well, that kind of wraps up the show here. I just wanted to let the listeners know that you can support the podcast by finding us on Breeze or any other value for value uh, podcast app that allows you to give us sats, boosts, all that good stuff. You could also find us at lightningjunkies.net forward slash support, where you can find different ways to support us, including sats over uh, the Lightning Network as well. But for now, uh, I, I want to go ahead and thank Ruben for joining us. You're welcome. And I will. Thank you. And I will see everybody on the Lightning Network. <laughs>